Hello, and welcome to the Profitable Practice Podcast with me, Andrea Maxim, naturopathic doctor turned healthpreneur. And every week, I'm bringing you no-nonsense, no-BS, actionable strategies to create a practice that is not only profitable, but fully sustainable by you. If you're an action taker like me and want to create a practice that is profitable, then you've come to the right place. Hello, hello, everyone listening to the Profitable Practice Podcast. I am your host, of course, Andrea Maxim, and today is an extra special show, and a lot of really amazing things have been going down in my own personal practice since I have done this interview recording. So for those that are watching the video recording, you're going to notice I look a lot different and I'm in a different location for this intro and the outro. And that's because I typically record the intro and the outro separately from my interviews. Um, When I run this podcast, I'm basically doing it in between patients. I do all of my work on Monday to Wednesday because I'm watching Brooklyn on Thursdays and Fridays and all of those parents out there know when you have little kids around getting work done is you know if you can do it that's pretty amazing so that's why there's sometimes a little bit of a disconnect here I've been really trying hard to just get everything all recorded all at once but sometimes it doesn't happen so I actually did this interview with Nicola a long maybe two weeks ago and in that time we relaunched the maximize your clinic course we had um, the best enrollment that I've had to date and I've made the most money with that enrollment and I am going to do a complete recording of my entire launch, what I did, what all the steps were, because I know a lot of people were following along with that launch, following my emails, watching and reading how I worded things, you know, saw how often I was posting, what I was posting. And that's really something that you can definitely do when people that you are emulating are launching and you know when they're launching, um, see the the steps that they're putting in see the work that they're doing kind of try to mimic exactly what it is that they're doing even if you're part of somebody's challenge you know pay attention to how often they email how are they structuring that challenge what are they saying in their emails what was it about their landing page that made you opt in these are all the things that you can start doing and this is exactly what I've done is I've just watched other people do the same things that I want to do and then kind of emulated it with my own, of course, flair and spin to it. Now, anybody that's gone through a launch knows that it's never easy and there's always a lot more steps involved than you think. So as I said, I will do a complete recording of that and I'll break everything down and say exactly what I did, how much I spent, and that will be in a couple of weeks. Um, But why I wanted to get Nicola on the show today is because I know we're always hearing about how to identify that target audience that you want to be treating, how to figure out what that ideal patient avatar looks like. And we hear it time and time again. And I've heard it so many times, I basically just roll my eyes now every time somebody says, what does your ideal patient look like? What do they do? What do they like? What don't they like? Blah, blah, blah. Now, it is incredibly important and it has definitely made my ability to um, write copy and send out emails and get people engaged so much easier, 100%. 
But um, the part that I find we're struggling with as a community, especially if you're a new grad and you're just coming out, is I don't know who I want to talk to. I don't know if I want to necessarily go into this group of people. And what Nicola did was basically kind of that just that is she didn't really know what she wanted to to who she wanted to treat how she wanted to practice and she ran a very kind of generalized practice and then one of her mentors said to her well look like there is nobody doing Lyme disease you really need to get into that and it was just based on that necessity that she did and you'll hear throughout the interview that it really wasn't something that necessarily her true passion Um, lied in. It wasn't like she was dying to treat the Lyme community, Um, but she found a way to niche her market and she found a way to grow her practice. And now she's even starting to step away from it again. So it's just a really um, um, very interesting journey that she went through. And I wanted to share that with everyone because we feel, especially coming right out the gate, we have to know who we're going to treat. Um, and then you'll start attracting different people than you thought. And you may not necessarily be wholeheartedly connected to who you're attracting, but that is what's going to help to grow your practice and make a name for yourself and create um, you as a bit of an authority in that particular area. So it's it's just kind of good food for thought, this entire um, talk that we're going to have because you just don't always know what the path is that your business is going to take you down. And it's not necessarily that you can't do what your true self wants to do. It's just that timing might not be there. If you're really needing to just build up your practice fast, niching in areas that most naturopathic doctors don't want to or are not treating is a great way of doing that and just becoming an authority figure on that. And you'll hear throughout the call um, how Nicola was able to do that and who she was talking to and how she was able to even create herself as an authority figure much faster than just saying this is what I'm doing now. So definitely pay attention and listen kind of between the lines as to how her journey went because this is a real possibility for you and also know that this is a naturopath that's been out for almost two decades so I always love to have the elders on the show because we look at them with such um, adoration because of where they are in their practice and um, you know what they've been able to accomplish and a lot of times it didn't happen until later on in their practice that these amazing things started to happen so never think that you have to kind of jump out of the gate and you know hit it right on the button right away because for most of us that's really not going to happen anyway um, now before we jump into the interview This podcast has been sponsored by my seven-day detox program. I um, created this program for my patients first and foremost, and this was to really give patients, you know, a fast win. They lose weight really quick. They feel better right away. They start getting their mindset on on track when it comes to eating healthy. And a lot of my patients continue to repeat this as a do-over, as a restart, as a, um, you know, I just went on a two-week holiday and I just need a reset, if you will. So this is one of those protocols that I find to be 
um, number one, it's the most profitable for me. Number two, it's just such a valuable way to really get patients engaged. And I use it as a stepping stone to my other in-office programs that I have. So this is something that you can check out at maximizebusiness.ca forward slash seven, the number seven day detox program. And that's all I'm really going to say about that today. So we'll jump into my interview with Nicola. Hello, Nicola. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're so welcome. Nice to see you. Now you are a fellow ND because often I have people that are coming on that are experts in other fields that are still helping us grow our business, but it's always nice to talk to naturopathic doctors who are still in the field with us and know kind of what it's like to be a naturopath in this day and age. So I'd love to hear your background story on how you got into your practice, where you're practicing now and how life has evolved for you. Sure, absolutely. So I graduated from Best Year in 2003 and then moved down to San Diego right away. And I had a family friend who lived in San Diego, um, and that was really my connection here. It's still where I live today. And he introduced me to a chiropractor who was very open to having me join her practice. And it was exciting kind of knowing that I had a place to land, and some of my classmates were still trying to figure out what to do, and I felt like, okay, I know where I'm going. But what I found when I got there is it was just a very small office. It was just her and a part-time receptionist. I didn't really know anyone in San Diego. I didn't have a network already. And in 2003, we weren't even licensed yet. So not many people knew what naturopathic doctors were, and we didn't have the licensure to have a great scope. So I stayed with that for a few months, but I realized that just going out all by myself in a clinic with no potential referrals for me and not being in an environment where I had a network already built up. It was going to take me like forever to practice. And, and it was, you know, it was kind of challenging. So I looked for um, alternatives and had started doing some um, seminars with a company called Biohealth Diagnostics. And, um, oh, I think I've frozen. Can you still hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, okay. The the image is frozen. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't okay. talking myself. Um, so I started doing some se- seminars with Biohealth Diagnostics, and they had a clinic that they were building and asked me to come in and do female health, uh, women's health, hormone balancing, and things within the clinic. Well, their clinic director was Kurt Wooler, who's an osteopathic doctor and an autism specialist. And so he taught me all the autism, like biomedical approaches to autism, and also helped me get plugged into Great Plains Lab. And I started doing autism outreaches around the country. So Great Plains would send me to all these different cities. I'd see a bunch of patients there. They had a lab package that they offered. So I would give them the consultation to be able to order the labs. They also had a phlebotomist on site. So it was kind of a one-stop shop for these families that didn't have access to a Dan doctor in their area. So that was just a really great, I mean, I just sort of lucked out on that one to be involved with Kurt and to be, to have such a mentor. I mean, I really think, especially in the early days, to have a mentor is so crucial. And we were on a a sort of percentage split basis. So I wasn't stressing out about having to figure out how to run a practice Mm -hmm. and, you know, not having any overhead out of pocket because it was percentage basis. So that was all ideal. But then I naturally just transitioned into working with Lyme disease. And I didn't do anything to necessarily make that happen. It just evolved. 
people always say to me, oh, why did you get into Lyme treatment? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, it just happened. And so that's is that's just the way it went. I couldn't have predicted that. All through school, I thought I wanted to specialize in eating disorders um, and more kind of psychological issues. And there I was two years out of school starting to kind of get more known as a Lyme practitioner. And that's really kind of like the key thing. I mean, I really think the, the key element of success in my path has been having that specialty. Okay. Because something I recall coming out of school and, and trying to market and, and build a practice was, I, I wasn't sure who I was marketing to. Do you know what I mean? Like as naturopathic doctors, we're not specialists. Yes. You know, in the way that a neurologist or a rheumatologist would be. So I just, um, I struggled for a little bit right in the beginning in terms of figuring it out. Okay, so who am I marketing to and what do I want to, what am I offering? And once I had that specialty, then it sort of more fell into place. And it's just a fact that in Southern California, there weren't many Lyme docs. And so that was an area where I could build a busy practice fairly quickly. And then it's all progressed from there. I mean, the years have gone by and I'm still kind of known for that. Um, but that's kind of how it was in the beginning. Okay. And so this was, you've been in practice now for 15 years? Yeah. That's crazy oh, to say. Fine. So with regards to, you know, you started figuring out the specialty at two years out. Now, this is the, the question that um, I have a lot of students asking me, even as early as first year in the naturopathic college, and that sort of, how do you know what you're going to specialize in? And, you know, as entrepreneurial minds, as type A minds, we're always thinking ahead. We're always trying to, um, you know, get our ducks in a row well before they need to be. And so how did you keep your mind and your options open to this? Because as you said, you know, you thought you were going to go this route and then right. real life takes you down this path. So how do you kind of allow that to evolve naturally in your practice? And all of a sudden you are specializing in something you didn't think that you would be. There's a couple of different ways I can answer that. I mean, one is just thinking, I mean, I, I guess the bottom line is just staying open and just being kind of having that flexibility that in life, and I can think back on other things in my life where I thought things were going to go a certain way and then they ended up going a different way. And I mean, I think we can look at that just from on a number of different levels. But for me, there's also a spiritual component to that. Like I know why I was put in the line work because in the early, I was in a very um, privileged position to be able to go to Australia and help people who were starting to be diagnosed in Australia. And there was very little help for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's still very little help for them. So if I look at it really without trying to get sort of too airy fairy about it, when I look back, I can see exactly why I was positioned the way I was mm -hmm. because I, there was work that I needed to do. And so that's kind of like, it's, it's been my calling. Yes. Um, would I choose to work with Lyme? I don't know if I would. I mean, there's, there's other things that I thought I was more interested in. Lyme is fascinating. It's also very difficult. Um, but I know that I was, that there was a purpose for me to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one level. I will also say there was a moment that I remember and when, so when I was working with Kurt Wooler, he actually took the biohealth practice and sort of pulled it back into his private practice and then moved up north 
Um, and I commuted up there for a couple of years, but then ultimately I didn't want to move up there. So that's why I came back to San Diego to kind of do my own thing. But there was a day and I was sort of still building a practice and he was really good about referring, you know, some of the autism folks to me mm -hmm. and, and it was growing, but it, I still wanted to be busier. And I remember he said to me, he said, Nicola, do you want a busy practice? And I said, yes. And he goes, then work with Lyme. Mm -hmm. He said, there's, there's not many practitioners in Southern California and it's a growing, I mean, it's really an epidemic at this point, but there's growing awareness about it. There's a growing need for people who know about it. So I think one of the things too was being aware of what the needs are out yes. there. What are the needs of the community? Um, where are the people who are underserved? Because the Lyme population, I mean, it's getting better now. When I first joined ILADS, which is the association, mm -hmm. um, International Lyme and Associated Disease Society, there were a couple of hundred people at each conference. And now it's like a thousand or 1200 mm -hmm. and it sells out. And so there's more awareness and more practitioners sort of being able to help in that situation. But I think part of it is just from a common sense standpoint of where are there a lot of people that need help? Yeah. Now, and where are the areas that, because that's where people, that's, that's going to be a, a way to, to draw people into, um, in an area that's not quote unquote saturated. I'm not sure. Right. If that's yeah. So you take on this new calling. Now, how do you start, you know, building a practice around that? What are the next steps that you did to start drawing people in and letting people know, you know, this is what I'm doing now? Right. So uh, a lot of it happened by word of mouth. And I think with Facebook groups and social media now, like everybody's online talking to other patients and talking about who they're seeing and what they're doing. So I think in today's day and age of social media, that happens a little bit more naturally than maybe it used to. But there was there was one thing for me that that made a huge difference. Well, two things really that they're they're associated. So I went to a Lyme conference and I met a lady named Connie Strasham. And Connie Strasham has been a Lyme patient for years. Um, she has a sort of medical background, but she's not a physician or a practitioner. She writes, but she's an author, and she writes mm -hmm. from the, the standpoint of someone who's been through Lyme and which is very, very knowledgeable. So one of the books she wrote early on was Insights into Lyme Disease 13 um, – Lyme practitioners share their healing strategies. So I had met her at a Lyme conference. I had chatted to her. We sort of struck up this nice friendship. I didn't know her well, but she contacted me and said, Nicola, would you be one of those? Would you be one of those practitioners? Would you do an interview with me and have a chapter in the book? And I was like, absolutely. Yes, I would. I would love to. And that was a way that I got my name out. And I think in part she chose me, I mean, that's probably 10, 12 years ago now, mm -hmm. because I did have more of an integrative approach and people were looking for that. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of a sudden, I'm one of like 12 practitioners or 13 practitioners in this Lyme Experts book. Yes. And so I got a lot of patients from that. Yeah. The second thing, but it ties into the book theme, is that I sat down to write a patient handout on you know, diet, appropriate diet for Lyme disease, sat down, I was in Australia at my mum's kitchen table, I'm like, mum, I just got to bust out this handout, probably take me a couple of hours. Well, of course, six months later, I was still writing a book manuscript. Wow. And that Lyme diet book 
has done really, really well. I mean, and it's been, and I don't mean to be braggy about it, but it's been popular. It's still popular today. Um, a lot of the support groups recommend it. I've given certain blocks of books out to different support groups so they can, you know, even kind of give them away or do raffles or prizes or whatever with them. And that helped tremendously too because it gave me credibility as did Connie's book. Yeah. Um, and I've written three books since then, but The Lime Diet continues to be the most successful today. So, you know, when I think about the relationship with Connie, it was just building relationships with yeah. other people in the field, going to the conferences. I'll be honest, I don't go to AANP conferences. I don't go to a lot of naturopathic conferences. I go to Lyme conferences Got because it. that's where I'm networking with people who are doing what I'm doing, whether they be social workers or nurses or medical doctors or naturopathic doctors. We're all in the same specialty. Now, this specialty, so we're talking about, you know, chronic illness. Lyme is not something that goes away easily. It's not something that necessarily you're cured from. You just kind of manage the symptoms. How do you, how do you mentally prepare yourself and be there for your patients when it comes to such a multifactorial condition? Because there is the ebbs and flows, there's the flare-ups. Like, because there's a lot of practitioners, especially coming out of school, that want to do cancer, that want to do fibromyalgia, that want to do Lyme. And there's so many of us that are afraid to do it because it is. it feels like it's something bigger than us. So how do you even take those first steps to get involved in such a important but somewhat scary condition to specialize right. in? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a brilliant question. So for me in the beginning, I mean, going to the iLabs conferences, I did the physician training program. So I did whatever training was offered that I could to get involved with. In the beginning, I limited the, the service that I was going to provide them. So even though we had antibiotic prescribing authority, yes, I chose not to prescribe antibiotics probably for the first five years because the whole thing for me was so overwhelming and so scary. Mm. And I just, and I was like, you know, what? I don't want that responsibility. I'll refer to the MDs I know for that and just work with the naturopathic elements that I'm very familiar with. And so that made it a lot less scary kind of getting into it. And so my patients knew that they'd do their antibiotic stuff over here and that I would handle more of the naturopathic support. And that did work really well because I had a couple of MDs that I had great relationships with. I had MDs in Australia that I had great relationships mm -hmm. with that we could manage. Um, and then just over time, I just got more confident. And I, as I learned more things, um, I, yeah, it was just a confidence level and then being willing to kind of start in doing more antibiotic prescribing, mm -hmm. which I knew I wanted to do because that then allows me to be very comprehensive. But yes. I took it step by step. I didn't jump in all at once. And then the next part of that is how do you relay this infancy to your patients? So these people want to get better like they just want help and you're just learning you're just starting to practice you're just starting to experiment with your different protocols how do you develop a confidence level around that so in the beginning uh well honesty is, is probably the first thing in the beginning patients were so grateful that somebody else was there and wanting to learn about yes. Lyme like I literally I re remember this so precisely I had two or three patients come and they were under the care of different doctors and they actually said to me, they go, you know, it's we're, we're on our protocols, we're doing okay to support you in your practice. 
And they just came and booked one hour appointment, one, two, three over the course of an afternoon just because they wanted to support me. I mean, people were just really grateful for someone who wanted to help. But, you know, as time went on, I'd just be very clear about my limitations and I'd say, look, I can help you with this part. Yes. I'm not an expert in this. And I still say this today. I still say, you know what? I'm not a mold specialist. I know the basics. But if we really feel like mold is sort of a, a primary issue, I'm going to actually refer you out for that. I've done that with methylation too because I get completely mm-hmm. overwhelmed with methylation. Um, so I think just being clear with people, and I feel like people are very accepting of your limitations if you're upfront about them. What they don't like is you pretending that you can do everything. Right. And then, you know, they come unstuck or they're disappointed with the care. The other thing I have said, and I want to be careful about how I word this. I mean, I have said to my patients, like, okay, so I'm trying this new thing whatever the new thing is, um, I'm just getting started with it. I'm, you know, I've done this XYZ research. I've had this experience so far. It's kind of newer for me, but here's what I'm proposing we could try. And the majority of them, they want answers. They're they're happy to find something new. So long as it's sensible, they're actually quite, you know, quite grateful for that. So I just, I'm very upfront with my patients. I'm very honest with them about, what I can provide and what I can't provide. And I feel like so long as that trust is there, that everything's being done with the right intention, mm-hmm. um, then patients are content. Now let's talk about the business side behind this. So this is now running the practice and managing all these patients that are coming in because this is the other part of it is you may want to have more patients coming in, but you could also have way more than you can handle. Um, right. So when you start to specialize in something, especially as um, definitive as Lyme disease, how do you start to then manage the practice? And this question, I'm going to kind of ask you to be in as detailed as possible, meaning, you know, how often would you have the patients come in? How often would they be put on X protocol with these supplements? Like, how would you kind of run them through the business side of things? Because this is where, you know, the turning point for you really started. Yeah, so um, there's a lot I could say about that. I'll try and remember most of the points that come to my mind. The first thing is I've only ever seen patients three days a week. Okay. Ever since day one. I have a little bit of a theory of start as you mean to go on. I never wanted to work weekends, so I never worked weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, I only wanted to see patients three days a week, so I always saw patients three days a week. And I've always been able to make a living just putting my patients into those three days. Yeah. So in the beginning, the first few years when I was everything, right? I was returning the new patient inquiries. I was doing the billing. I was boxing up supplements and handwriting labels and driving them to the post office. Um, All of it, fielding all the patient emails. So those extra two days gave me the space to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to carve out space for marketing, for business management, and have blocks of time for that. I had a dear friend, I still a dear friend and a mentor of mine in the beginning. If I only had one patient or one patient there, I'd be you know running off to run errands at a shop or you know go off to the do a yoga class or something. And I remember he said to me, "This is one of the things that stuck, and I think has really helped me over the years." He's like, "Nicola, you just need to go, even if you sit there in your 
office all day and don't see any patients. You just need to be there because firstly, what if somebody walked by and wanted to stick their head in and ask you a question? But more importantly, you need to set the intention of like, this is a day I'm going to be at my office seeing patients. And he's like, take that seriously. Like choose your schedule, block those times and then commit to that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. for me, the three days a week, but committing to those three days was really helpful. Um, And then, so I've always had those extra two days for just taking care of the admin and figuring out running the business. I've had no business training as many of Mm -hmm. us health providers haven't. So I've learned it all as I've gone. And the key for me in not getting overwhelmed was just baby steps, baby steps, baby Mm -hmm. steps. And I can come back. I'd like to talk more about that because I think it's, that's one of the things that's helped me the most over the years. Um, so then as time progressed and I was able to sort of pay an assistant, even if it was just like 20 hours a week to start handing off some of the new patient inquiries, to start handing off some of the billing. And then once I got to that phase, I spent those two days a week writing my books. Mm -hmm. So it was still productive, but it was a nice balance between practicing patients and writing because I've always loved to write. Um, and now well, three and a half years ago, I had my daughter. Yes. And so, of course, you know, that everything goes there, shaped up to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, what's interesting, you said, you know, how do you sort of deal with, like, emotionally and mentally? I did okay with the Lyme practice until I had my daughter, and then it really shifted. Mm-hmm. I felt at that point, like, before I had her, I, I felt like I had a greater capacity to give them what they need because yes. Lyme patients do need a lot. They, they, they're really sick and they've had a really crap time, excuse my language so far. So, um, and I want to be available to love on them and treat them with respect and listen to them and, and do all of that. So once I had my daughter, I struggled for a while cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't be a mom. And yeah, and it's it just too much to enough. give. Yeah. She's, I just didn't have a, a, as much space anymore, you know, as much bandwidth. And so I have cut back my hours since then. Um, But in doing so, I've also shifted a little bit more to kind of a little bit more online presence. Mm -hmm. Um, I brought in another naturopath and I've trained her. So she's been with me two years. And so she gets kind of the overflow. Um, And we've brought on some other therapies that have definitely helped kind of the bottom line of the practice. So Mm -hmm. I'm in a mode now where I'm trying to, I'm trying to create more location freedom for myself. Like Mm -hmm. I have a successful practice. I make six figures. All of that's fine. I love my work. I love the practice. Um, But I'm trying to shift a little bit more to more of an online presence so that I can go home and see my family in Australia for a month at a time if I chose to. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges of private practice, the minute you're not there seeing patients, um, you're not earning. Right. And one thing I found is, and this is, kind of ironic, but I suppose it makes sense. The busier I got, so now if you look at my schedule, it looks like I'm booked three months out. What happens though is every week things just fall apart. Because the booking far out, then they're like, oh, I forgot I'm on holiday or I haven't got my labs done. or So it's that sort of constant dance too of managing the kind of inconsistencies that happen with the schedule in the short term, even if one looks really busy in the long term. Mm-hmm. And that's an excellent point. And this is kind of where I want to take our conversation because this is where um, the morale starts to drop. So right. I, I've seen this come up on threads. You know, 
Uh, my practice isn't busy enough. I'm, you know, my whole day just fell apart and we immediately think about it. It's our problem. It's something about us. We're deterring these patients. So how do you work through that? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, and I struggle too with like taking it personally. Oh no, if they canceling, am I not helping them? Am mm -hmm. I not any good? You know, and it is a struggle. Um, I guess I was, I was, yeah, and part of it for me was like, oh, I put my rates up a year ago. Is that why? But I'm like, no, people who would choose not to pay a little bit more would have fallen off by now. Um, it's really hard not to take it personally. And I'm not sure I have the actual answer of how not to because I, I still do at times. What I have found to be the most helpful strategies one is being really strict with the cancellation policy, which mm -hmm. I'm really terrible at. I kind of want to just let it all slide. But even so, I feel like the majority of people, it's not even a 24-hour cancellation. You know, it could be like two days before, three days right. before, but it's still hard to fill that spot. So we definitely keep a wait list. Um, so we try and, you know, have people, or if a new patient's booked like two or three months out, we'll call them and see if they want to get an earlier appointment. Mm. Um I have found, and this is just very, very recent, the best balance for that for me has been I brought in an ozone machine, actually 10 pass ozone from Germany, and have another practitioner operating that, mm -hmm. and that is really helping the revenue of the practice. Um, because my other naturopath, her schedule goes through the same thing. Her schedule right. falls apart too. So she has busy weeks and quiet weeks, and she's two years out, so that gets very demoralizing for her. So I think one of the keys is having therapies that will continue to bring people in. And so this is, I'm so glad you brought it back to this because this is the next thing I wanted to comment on is, so this is what happens too. You know, the licensing fees come up or rates go up or a bill happens that you weren't anticipating and people that aren't prepared for this freak out because the patients all canceled. They needed to pay their bills at the end of the week and they're freaking. So right. this is a really important um, topic for us to be discussing is finding ways to leverage the revenues without leveraging more time. And I completely right. agree with you. We have right. an infrared sauna in my practice, which costs three to $4,000 to set up. I had it paid for in the first year. And this mm -hmm. is something that patients can use. It's still therapeutic, but it doesn't require any more of my time. So. Right. You know, it took you a while to get those new therapies in, but outside of ozone, what else have you found to be really helpful for leveraging the revenues without leveraging your time? And we don't need to go into the online space because I've definitely covered that in other um, podcasts, but even mm -hmm. just within your practice, like what are some of those tools that you use? So injections and IVs have been one of the best because they don't, there's not a lot of cost to set it up. I mean, you yep. order your stuff and your bags and your poles. It's not like a $20,000 machine. I have had other machines and I've tried different things over time. I've, I've got into machines that I didn't utilize enough. So I've learned a few lessons along the way. Um, so IVs and injectables have been great because the, the, the cost of entry to that is pretty low. I've done neurofeedback over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, I love neuro, neurofeedback. I'm a big believer in it. And, um, that certainly paid for itself pretty well. The, 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 one of the challenges is you can get all of these therapies and modalities and whatever, and then you have to let people know that you have them. And I'm typically, you know, not that great at that. So um, IVs, we had pulsed electromagnetic frequency machine for a while, 
probably didn't get utilized nearly as much as it should. I'm actually getting ready to sell that just because I'm trying to streamline. Mm-hmm. The bottom line, I, I think a big thing to, to remember is just, it's not just about how much money comes in, it's how, how much money goes out. So I get, you know, taxes are one of the big things. I got oh, absolutely yes. messed up one year because I hadn't put enough money aside for taxes. So, you know, not putting your head in the sand about taxes, I would say, is a, is a big one. But just really managing overhead and very conservative. Like I've never, I only took business financing once. It was when I was moving my office from 400 square feet to 1600 square feet. And I just felt like I needed a little bit of a cushion. Mm-hmm. So I found an organization locally that did small business financing and just small amounts. I borrowed $20,000. Three months mm-hmm. later, I hadn't touched it. I gave it back. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else, I've only... I've only purchased equipment if I could really afford it. And I have leased some equipment, but um, I did, I never wanted to go into big debt because we come out of school with enough debt and mm-hmm. I'm not a big one in, you know, not a big believer in borrowing a lot to set up this huge fancy clinic mm-hmm. and then be stressing out every week about, you know, the overhead. And I think the evolution that you've described is perfect. And I mean, you are out 15 years you're still evolving, you're still learning, you're still having the same fears and concerns that we have. And yet uh, the perception would be that everything is running hunky-dory. But, you know, as you said, things fall apart so quickly. We're still dealing with humans, we're dealing with their schedule. And I just think that um, that story in and of itself is so important for us to remember because, and I've said this with another um, person that I interviewed, you know, as soon as we graduate, we want to be successful within the first year. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's just like playing an instrument, right? I can't hand you a guitar and you're going to be able to play whatever song is on the radio on the first day. And this is the perception that we have, especially as the new generations are coming out, we have very little attention span. So we just want to go, we want to get it. If we don't get it, we're going to start looking in other places. So for you to just stick it out, but also allow your practice to evolve, allow you to develop this specialty and then be so um, aware that now that your family is growing and your emotions have to be, and your energy has to be given up in other places, that it's okay Mm -hmm. for you to scale back. But you have to find other ways to start bringing in that revenue so you're not cutting back, you're just scaling your own time back. And I think that whole progression has been amazing. And then the other thing, the other big takeaway is that you just put yourself out there. When you first started, you went to the conferences, you met the people. And because of putting yourself out there, you got these opportunities that otherwise wouldn't have been there. It's not like somebody asked for a resume for you to be in a book. Like you just happened to make those connections. Um, Right. And I think too, another point for that is going to support groups. That's another thing I did a lot early on. And I would even drive up to LA to speak at support groups or if I was yeah, like go see a support group there and get plugged into the, the San Diego support group. So that's really good if, if somebody does have a sort of specialty that they're interested in, you've got a captive audience. And so long as you're providing value and sharing information in a way that's helpful, um, then that's a good way of building trust too. Now, are there any other key mantras that you've picked up along the way that have really made a difference for you? Like that example of just stay in your office, commit to those times is huge. Are there any right. other ones that you can share? Um, let me think. So, yeah, I mean, that was one I shared with Dr. Emily too. My other naturopath was like, start as you mean to go on. And, you know, you, you made a point too about like, I mean, boundaries are really important. Um, 
so for me, yeah, it was just growing organically, organically and just realizing that it's all just baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. and may not feel like anything massive is happening, but over time it will happen. Um, but the consistency is needs mm -hmm. to be there. Um, not biting off more than I can chew. And yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing has just been just letting things emerge gradually over time and not feeling, I mean, we all want to rush it. Like you say, we all want to be, you know, turning a profit in the first year. My really has that need or that desire to get busy quickly is to get in with a practitioner who's busy, who has referrals for you. I mean, mm -hmm. my other naturopath, Dr. Emily, um, I don't think she'd mind me saying this, but you know, she made 75 first year out, second. So that's not bad for a new grad, mm -hmm. but because she came in and I had a busy practice already, you know, with people to, to pass along to her. Um, finding the right team members, you know, like the right employees and just recognizing that employees can be part-time and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, I have two gals, one of them's three days a week and the other one sort of eight to three, five days a week. And that fits their family and their commitments. So it's not like I have a huge full-time star. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I think um, just, you know, those boundaries are important. So in the beginning, we tend to sort of, you know, respond to more emails, give more information. It's it's an interesting day and age. Like I have said to my office staff, I'm like, it's so bizarre that people could just email us and then they get mad if we haven't responded by the end of that day. You know, it's, yeah. it's so weird. True. Like, when did that happen? Yep. That's the world like, we I live in. I think of how many doctors I have that I could email and expect a response, you know, that day. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's the way it is now. So, I mean, I think just being clear with boundaries for that too, of what you're willing to give away by email and, 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 you know, asking people to make a follow-up for you to talk about things. So I make that clear in my first visit with my patients when I was sort of wrapping up and I'm taking them back to the front. I go, hey, this is how email works, just so you know what to expect. If you have a very quick question, if it's going to be like a one-minute response, if I'm at home and I can respond to you without necessarily having to dig into your chart, you need clarification on a treatment plan mm -hmm. or you have a, you know, like shit moment in your treatment, like if you have a big Herxheimer reaction or something you don't want to do then you call us or email us. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking, oh, what's my next steps in treatment? Or if there's something new, a therapy that you've heard about or something you want to add in, that requires a follow-up. Yeah. So I set those boundaries with people you know, right up front, and we still get a ton of emails. <laughs> um, but now I've got my front office staff trained to where they, they can respond to a lot of it. If it's a medical question that they don't know, they'll obviously send it to me. Um, so I think just being clear with people about what's okay by email. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I would say, and I mean, this isn't a great aha, but I would recommend that people get some kind of accounting software, like right from the beginning and get used to using it. I mean, we don't track necessarily every piece of inventory and everything else, but it's a good habit to get into. Again, that training of, you know, one day I'm going to have a busy practice, so I may as well learn this while I'm quiet. Mm-hmm. And get the accounting software, the bookkeeping software, and get your, you know, your income account set up and your expense account set up. Get your separate business account and just again start as you mean to go on and set that up early. Mm -hmm. um, because when things do start getting busier, it'll be so much easier mm -hmm. to just hand that off to a CPA. And I now have a bookkeeper who goes every Thursday. She just goes in there and does my books. Yeah. And. Um, and that's great, but I've known practitioners who don't set that up, and then they're all discombobulated. Their taxes are a mess, 
they don't keep track of things and it just leads to this sense of chaos. Yes, 100%. Knowing your numbers is massive. Knowing your numbers, yeah, even if they're small numbers at first, you know, just getting used to getting that training yourself to be a business owner. I mean, the fact of life is, you know, we all want to be naturopaths or acupuncturists or chiropractors or whatever modality is ours. We don't necessarily want to be doing bookkeeping and, and, you know, marketing and all that stuff that we say we didn't sign up for. But this is the reality. If we want our own business, it's just the reality of it, and that's a choice that people get to make. If they don't want to do that, they could go into a practice where they're on a percentage split, so the overhead's not their concern, or they're an employee of a practice. So I feel like we have enough choices that we can do. If that's really intolerable to someone to have to be responsible for all of that, there are enough options that doesn't suit everybody. Yeah. But you just have to be a little bit entrepreneurial-minded to, to take on running your own practice. 100%. And you know what? Even being an entrepreneurial, um, and like in a in a clinic and and running a clinic, or even being an associate, may not necessarily be what you want to do, and that's also okay. There's ways of being a naturopath that don't involve that. Absolutely. I mean, I remember in school, a couple of my classmates had no no intention of being a practice. They love research to do research. Um, I mean, there's a whole there's such a huge range of what's possible to do. Mm-hmm. So I think too, just you know, maybe not putting pressure, like newer graduates, not putting pressure on themselves that they have to, that they're obligated to go out and do this. You yeah. know, it can be created as many different ways as as you want. Yeah. Thank you so much for your honesty and being clear about how your progress has been with us. And if people want to get in touch with you personally, what are some of the great ways to do that? Um, so our practice website is Restore Medicine. I also have a blog, The Naturopathic Mama, and I have a Naturopathic Mama community group on Facebook as well. Um, and so they're the best ways to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nicola. You're welcome. So I'm sure there were a lot of gold nuggets that you took from that interview with Nicola. And I'm sure there are a lot of points there where you're like, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. Or, you know what, that's such a good point. I really need to start doing that. Yes, I need to start getting some help. Yes, I need to start delegating. Yeah, you know what, I'm not creating my practice now the way I want it to be in the future. These are all of the questions that a lot of us have all the time. And it's something and very good for you to be reflecting on, you know, am I running my practice the best way that I can? Am I doing the right things that allow me to have more freedom outside of my office? Am I treating the groups of patients that I want to? Am I attracting them? Or is my heart leading me down another path? And if you've listened to this entire show and you're still listening to me now, most likely you want to make something amazing happen with your business. And that is something that I think is awesome. But this is what's going to happen is you're all fired up. You're all ready to go. You sit down at your computer. You said, oh, yep, today I'm going to take the next hour and I'm going to write all the things down that I want to do. And I'm going to create this big to do list. And one of two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to push that hour to a week from now, a month from now. And it's never going to get done. The second thing that's going to happen is you're going to create a to-do list that's so long that you just become increasingly overwhelmed, more overwhelmed than you already are, and you're going to get nothing done again. 
So my strongest suggestion to you is to contact me personally with my personal email. I'm just giving you my personal email here. It's andreamaximnd at gmail.com. And I want you to reach out to me and we'll create a 30-minute time slot that works for both of our schedules. And we'll go over a few of those things that you really want to tackle in your business to get you moving forward. And it's amazing the transformation that we create even in the first 15 minutes. Like they come in, I can see the overwhelm on their face. I can see them looking all over the screen, looking defeated, looking like I don't really even know what to talk to you about, Andrea. And in that time, in even as little as 10 to 15 minutes, we're able to break down some stepping stones where they can legitimately get things moving for themselves and break the steps down so that they can see clearly what the goals are. And I want that for you. So email me personally, andrewmaximnd at gmail.com, and we will book that call. If there are any other questions, if there's a topic you want me to cover, if you have a particular um, thought or concern on your mind that you'd like me to make a show about, let me know. Contact me on my website or on social media. I'm always looking for you guys to touch base with me. And if that's it for you guys, that's it for me today. I hope you have a phenomenal week. Kick ass, take action. I'm Andrew Maxim and I'm out. You guys are killer. Thank you as always for listening to the Profitable Practice Podcast. Leave me a comment and if you haven't already, I would love a review in iTunes. Definitely subscribe to this podcast and leave me a quick review. For those ready to maximize your practice, contact me at www.maximizedbusiness.ca.